Greetings in Jesus' precious name this morning. We are very happy to be with you. <clears throat> Most of you know that this is somewhat like coming back home to us. Um, our, our message this morning has to do with finding God's will and making godly decisions. Before we go there, though, I, I can hardly proceed without reminiscing a little bit. These two are tied together in that our history, all of our history, are marked by crucial, life-changing decisions. And concerning this building um, in 1979, which I realize is, is way back in the previous century, um, mom and dad made a crucial decision to change church settings and come here, brought their young family. And so that's, that's my memories of the early Bethany Church. And for you younger people, there not only was not this wing, there wasn't this wing, nor were there indoor facilities or running water. I didn't seem odd to us at the time. That was 79. Somewhere in the early 80s, um, the back was added and this side was added. And in 1985, or very nearabouts, um, I had made a decision to commit my life to the Lord. I was under instruction class. Brother Eldwin Campbell was my teacher. And where did we meet? Well, we were short on Sunday school rooms, and so we met in the mop closet. Um, I don't know if that's ever used for a Sunday school room anymore or not. <laughs> and also in 1985, uh, just a little piece of history, there was a serious flood in this area, and this church was surrounded by water. I know it seems strange because the river is so far back. But um, it wasn't damaged, but it was, it was surrounded by water, and Briar Branch suffered a um, lot of devastation over that time. And then in 2000, speaking of life-changing decisions, my wife and I were married in this church. Uh, I believe Brother Davey and Sister Paula were also married here, maybe a very few others. I understood that people aren't very often married at Bethany because the church was too small. Uh, well, that's changed a little bit. You have room for more. And another life-changing decision and, and earnestly seeking God's will, which is, is more recent, is in 2003 or 2004, um, Lydia and I made the decision with our small family to move to Highland County to McDowell Church. And um, I, it's hard to imagine that that was three, thir 16 years ago already. Um, it, it's, 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 it's amazing how time moves on. As we think about finding God's will, all of those decisions um, were made in some fashion or another, seeking God's will, trying to do what God wanted. Recently, this has kind of come up again in our family. Our children are growing up. They're facing their teenage years, making decisions, life-changing decisions, finding God's will for their lives. It reminded us of the importance of seeking God's face in decisions. A couple of months ago, uh, Brother David Heatwell at McDowell brought a message about God's sovereignty and man's free choice. And that kind of served as a foundation for this message too because it, it is amazing to consider that omnipotent God of the universe undertook a project, I think we could call it that, of the creation of man and the world, and with that project allowed man free choice. He actually 
in some fashion restricted his omnipotence significantly in order to allow man to choose. Now, we understand that in somewhere in history, angels also had a choice, and one-third from Revelation, I think it says, followed Lucifer. Um, And then God began this project of the earth and gave man free choice. And, you know, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they had really kind of one thing they couldn't, they, they, they needed to choose not to do, and that was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they failed, and I'm sure we would have too, which opened up the door to thousands of choices, improper choices, choices that mankind has made ever since, choices that are being made today. And so because of God's restricting his power, he he gave us much leeway. He gave man much leeway in deciding how to order their lives. I want to say first that God does desire to lead us just as he desires all men to be saved. We know that from the word, that God desires all men to be saved. Um, On that, there is no uncertainty. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5:17, "Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is." And for all of us adults, I think it would be helpful for us once in a while just to remember our teenage formative years and just how much we grappled with what is God's will for me. We were thinking about work, maybe life companion, place to live, and it's just a it's a wide open huge, vast, enormous world that we could find ourselves in. And how, how do we work through finding God's will for us? It can look overwhelming and daunting. And then, you know, for those of us that are in our adult years, 40, 50, 60, we can also pause and look back at how God has led. And that's why I mentioned some of the history and our history here at Bethany I'm not sure exactly how all those decisions were made, although they were made by me or influenced uh, by different people. But we can look back and we can see that God was carefully bringing us, like Brother Robert shared in devotional, through different things. And we, um, like Robert Frost wrote, come to these whys, these forks in the road, and we, we must choose. We need to choose one way or the other. And, and those choices then lead on to further choices. Um, I think Brother Caleb Crider in the last Lifelines um, had a little bit of a chart about how that works. Well, we won't cover, I, I doubt, much new ground this morning, but I want to just remind us of some very, um, some very foundational things in finding God's will And our first passage will be in Jeremiah 42. And our first point, and maybe the main one, is that in order to know God's will, we have to be completely open to God's will. We have to be surrendered to him. So many times our 
human flesh, <laughs> desires, carnality, ideas can get in the way of this. I'll, before we get to Jeremiah, I'll read you two verses. One is from John seven seventeen. Jesus said, if anyone wants to do his will, if anyone wills to do his will, in the King James, he shall know concerning the doctrine. And so I, that is clear, that when our heart desires God's will, then we can know God's will. And those of us with some experience remember times that we were facing decisions and it was hard to come to the place where we said, Lord, I will do whatever you want. <laughs> Until we can get there, it can be very difficult to discern the Lord's will for us. It takes that kind of submission to know the will of God. And Jesus also in Matthew 7, verse 7, Sermon of the Mount, very common verses, said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. And then in the next verse, he said, and he who seeks finds. So we have the promise from God, from Jesus, that as we seek, as we put ourselves on the altar of God's will, submission to him, he will in turn bless that. I say God does desire to lead us. I don't know if you're in Jeremiah 42, um, but that's where we're headed next. This is an interesting passage. It bears this point out. It was not... A, a, a one that had stuck in my mind. But when I found it, it kind of reminded me that, yes, it's there. And this, this illustrates uh, being open to God's will. I'd like to start reading at Jeremiah 42.1 and read through verse 7. And I'm reading from the New King James. You understand Jeremiah the prophet was speaking to the people of Israel, I believe they were facing captivity. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan the son of Kariah and Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God. For all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Just point out that they're facing a decision here, a group decision about whether they should stay or whether they should go. Verse 4. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard, indeed I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall be that whatsoever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord, our God, to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. So they were willing. They, they really were neutral, it sounds, they were willing to follow, pleasing or displeasing, that's key. Um, verse 7, and it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Let me just stop there for a minute too. Do you, do you sense the waiting? <laughs> and how many times in finding the Lord's will 
um, especially for serious and significant decisions, that there is a time of waiting, a time of seeking God's face, a time when we are willing to hear God's voice, but we haven't heard it yet. There is a temptation at that time to, like Saul, rush on ahead without David, no, without Samuel, to offer the sacrifice. Well, after 10 days, which I don't know is long or short in the scheme of things, the word of the Lord did come to Jeremiah. And the message is this in verse 10. We're skipping to save some time in verse 10 of 42. If you will remain still in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. And maybe skipping to verse 19 for the kind of the conclusion. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. So we have some key things there. The people were willing to do whatever God shared. shared. They were waiting. They were patient until God led, and then I believe they were willing to do what Jeremiah recommended. In fact, the Lord admonished. And I wonder, in my human mind, how many people really wanted, they were ready to cut their losses and go somewhere else. It was too painful to stay there. It, there was so much hardship, danger, um, and yet the word was to stay. And often when we're seeking the Lord's will, our mind is already going out to the far-flung places of where God may take us, and it could be as simple as stay where you are. (laughs) That is what the message was to these people through Jeremiah. Further on this point, I want to just remind you of the promise in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, which we all know very well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You understand that the acknowledgement, the commitment, and the obedience precede him directing our paths. Now, it is true that for all people in the world, God does bring things into their lives, which is good for them. And there are certainly things that come into their lives that wouldn't have been maybe God's perfect will, but for the Christian especially, God, for the committed Christian who really wants God's will, God is able to do so much better. He can bring pieces together for that willing person that he can't for the unwilling. And while you're in Jeremiah, if you still are, let's go back to Jeremiah 29, verse 11, 12, and 13. We have this precious promise here that we probably know the promise better than we know the setting or the chapter and verse. But Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, had shared these positive words with those people. For I know the thoughts that I think to you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Maybe the key there is all of our heart. If there's hidden agendas, unlocked rooms, resistance to following God's will, it hinders 
him directing our paths. And yet when we seek him with all of our heart, he's there. He's willing. He's able. Second thing we might mention, and this is just kind of a hindrance that follows very closely on the heels of what I already shared, is here's a hindrance to finding God's will, and that is, do I have selfish interest? James wrote, chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. I think we've all experienced times when we have thought we were seeking God's will, and yet we realized later that what we really wanted was just a blessing. We may or may not have received the blessing, but we might have missed the point. We may have asked and not received because we had selfish interest. Proverbs 1, 28, 29, and 30, Then they will call on me, and I will not answer. That's unfortunate. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. I might just say that many times God's leading in our lives is hindered because there are things that we are doing presently which keep him from making his way clear to us. Uh, Point number three, in finding God's will, what does the word say? We carry our Bibles. We are familiar with them. We may forget that there are thousands of pages of directions right here. And while it may not speak exactly to which car we should buy, or which sermon should be preached next week, or any other host of decisions that we may face, it has general principles. And more often than not, speaks better than we think. Um, When we're willing to search and look, we find things in here that, even in a daily reading of several chapters, something is weighing on our hearts, And the Holy Spirit will work. And there's something in that passage that impresses us. That the Holy Spirit brings and says that that there there is some direction for you as you're reading the word. So the word gives much counsel. Um, The more we're in it, the better I think the Lord can speak to us. And just some really general things concerning decision making. Here's something to consider. Um... In 1 Corinthians 10.31, we have this, Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, either to the Jews or to the Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. And so one thing that the Word says is when you're making decisions, don't just think about yourself. Um, How does it affect God's glory? How does it affect Jews, Greeks, or the church? (laughs) Does it give offense, what I am considering, or no? How does it affect others? Our decisions do affect others, not just fathers for children, school teachers for students, but brother to brother and sister to sister. What we do, finding God's will, seeking God's will, making decisions, It does affect other people very much. 
Fourthly, let's think about the value of godly counsel. We have the principles of the word and making decisions, but the value of godly counsel. Did you notice that the people of Judah went to Jeremiah, their prophet? And they said, we are facing a decision. We want you to seek your God. Jeremiah in turn said, your God will show us the way. And they claimed that because later in the passage they said, our God. But there is great value in godly counsel. Proverbs, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. In 1522, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, counselors they are established. I don't know how you feel about this thing of a multitude of counselors. I've thought before that, practically speaking, sometimes facing a decision, um, okay, I don't know what all exactly Solomon had in mind when he wrote that. And probably as a king, he needed a multitude of counselors, a cabinet, advisors. David had the 30 and the three. Solomon had similar I would say this concerning the value of godly counsel. Who we go to can make all the difference. And the key word here is godly. And I really think, in my experience, it's been that two or three godly people may have more value than asking every person you run into what you should do. That can be confusing. (laughs) There are many opinions. And asking your peers is certainly acceptable, Asking someone older may tap into a bit more experience than you have yourself. There was a king who deferred the old wisdom and chose his young company's advice to his ruin. It wasn't that he didn't have better advice, it was who he was listening to. And I think in making decisions, who we go can make all the difference, but godly counsel is very valuable And I might just mention this too. What about going to those who we answer to? I'm not saying this because as a dad or a minister at all, but, you know, things do look different at 45, 50 years old than they did at 17 or 18. Um, We weren't really thinking about maybe what dad and mom, the church, uncles and aunts or whatever would have been thinking about our decisions. But here in Hebrews 13, 17... Um, This seems to speak to decision-making. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as they who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so as we're finding our way through life, I'm saying this to the young people. Keep in mind, you might be sensing God's will, God's leading, but don't forget that there are those also who give account for your decisions and who would really welcome the opportunity Maybe not to tell you exactly what to do, but to just give you some gentle advice. Some godly counsel, hopefully. Point number five, let's consider open and closed doors. Uh, Paul used these words very often. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he said, A great and effective door has opened to me. In 2 Corinthians 2, 12, When I came to Troas to preach God's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Well, We would use the word maybe opportunities. I have this opportunity. I have this possibility. 
I have this open and closed doors. I might just mention about open and closed doors. And the next point is inner peace. These both are quite subjective. We may want an open door so badly that we're willing to unscrew the hinges. Um, I recently read a, a quote that stuck with me. I don't even remember where it was. It said, while you are waiting for God to open the door, sing in the hallway. And that's kind of how life is. A good bit of singing in the hallway, waiting for the open door. Opportunities do come and go. There are so many opportunities. I'm not sure that opportunities necessarily are a great indicator of God's will, but they can be. Um, For Lydia and I, moving to Highland County was an opportunity. We wouldn't have moved aside from the fact that the conference wanted to start a church there. It felt like a great and effective door. And yet looking back, I don't know how all we made that decision. So let's be a little careful about opportunities and taking opportunities. Uh, Let's weigh that much less in the balance than we would godly counsel, principles of the word, and others. Point number six would be, do I feel an inner peace about this decision? This one could be subjective, too. We may, we may want to feel peace so badly and want to go away so badly that we have forgotten point number one was to be completely submissive to God's will, completely open to his leading. And yet it can be a, a real direction if we have inner peace about this. Sometimes when I'm facing a decision, it helps to kind of narrow it down to two possibilities and then somehow in my mind kind of think like I've already made this decision and I made it this way. How do I feel? And then maybe a couple days later, I'll switch it over and say, well, if I made it this way, and kind of in my mind thinking those terms, how do I feel? But you still haven't made the decision. You can back up and do either or. Isaiah 30, verse 21, one of my favorite verses, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whether you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Since we know that God wants us to find his will and we know that God gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to the Christian, I think inner peace can be a confirmation. Um, And it can be a direction. It just needs to be handled a little carefully because sometimes our emotions are not so reliable. And yet the inner peace of the Spirit, God does want to guide us and I think that still small voice can definitely give us direction in the decision Question seven, are fleeces appropriate? (laughs) Can't really talk about making decisions without talking about fleeces. Um, This comes from the passage in Gideon, I mean, sorry, in Judges, where Gideon was called. Um, It's in Judges 6.14. I don't know that we'll turn there, but I'll refer to it because it's a well-known story. And so what Gideon asked was for a supernatural sign that what he thought he was to do, he should do. Uh, it was actually a confirmation. God had told him what to do. It was a rash, bold uh, thing to cut down his father's altar, whatever it was, the pole. Um, And Gideon did that at night, but he did it. He followed God's leading. And then when it came to this whole thing of 
leading basically a rebellion of leading God's people for a battle, he was quite unsure. Um, he seemed to have lost his confidence, and I don't doubt it for a minute. He probably felt like we do, Moses did, Isaiah did, that I, 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 this, is too, this is too rash of a step to take without some confirmation. And so he put that fleece out, and he wanted the fleece to be wet and the threshing floor dry, and the next morning it was. And I suppose in his mind it would have been remotely possible that somebody took a glass of water out there and poured it on that fleece. I doubt if he had shared the sign with anybody, but maybe in hindsight he wished he'd have done it different because the next night he said, Lord, <laughs> please, I'd like it to be the other way. <laughs> How about if we have a dry fleece and the threshing floor is wet and it was wet with dew? And so he, he took that as a confirmation and he was obedient, and I would say that, that Gideon's life largely is marked by obedience to what God asked him to do. We don't read of him trying other fleeces at other points, but in that very, uh, that was such a huge step to lead all those people into battle, whether it was of the Lord or not. And of course, God was speaking to him, and, the, and it was narrowed down to just a very few, and they didn't end up even fighting at all. I was just interested in what Gideon actually did say there in verse 39. He said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray thee, just once more with the fleece. And that seemed to be the last time that Gideon needed a fleece. He said just once more, and he honored that. God honored his request, granted the fleece, and that was good enough for the rest of Gideon's life. I'm blessed by that. If we're going to use fleeces, let's use them carefully. Um, they could be subjective, too. I've heard of all kinds of little fleeces that somebody put out. You know, you might make an offer on a property and say, you know, if we can get it for 100000 well, that's our fleece. Or if somebody comes to me in the next week with an opportunity, then I'll know that's of the Lord. Well, those ifs can be direction, but maybe not the final thing. Certainly, they are also subject to the counsel of godly people and God's word inner peace, and other things. I might point this out. Fleeces sort of go, sort of sound like fasting. And I found this little quote. I don't know who Dan Black is. He wrote this. If you're having a difficult time making the best decision, then consider fasting. Fasting is simply taking something you regularly do and replacing it with praying and seeking God. For example, instead of eating a meal or meals, you can take that time to seek God and allow him to speak to you about the decision. I think fasting may be better than fleeces for quite a number of reasons. I'll just mention this one too if you're taking notes. Acts 10.28 Crucial time in the life of the early church. Peter was grappling with this whole thing of clean and unclean. There was a major shift. This was not a minor decision. Cornelius was a Gentile who wanted to be a Christian. He was seeking God. And it just mentions in Acts 10, 30, Cornelius' testimony was that he was fasting about this thing of how to enter the Christian church when it was largely a Jewish church. And God honored that fast 
spoke to Peter, brought Peter, and when Peter got there, Cornelius had gathered up a bunch of people and said, we are here to hear God's word. What is God's word? And then Peter was able, because God had showed him a vision and everything, to share with Cornelius, his household, and many others about Jesus and the New Testament church. And it's, it's wonderful how it came together. I, I, I know Peter was, I'm sorry, I know Cornelius was fasting, and I'm, you might check, it may have been that Peter was fasting too. Two men on two totally opposite, different ends of the spectrum, fasting for God's will and God bringing them together for direction. I'd like to close with the blessing of confirmation. It is so humbling when we have faced a decision and sought God's will and made a decision when God himself chooses to bring some kind of a confirmation after that. It can happen many ways, um, many, many different times. And we, we owe God a great thanksgiving when, when we sincerely sought his will. He clearly led, and then he granted a confirmation. I don't know how many times you've experienced that. Uh, some of you know this story way better than I do, but here's just one for your consideration. I understand that when John Hartzler's were thinking about leaving the heart of the Shenandoah Valley and moving somewhere to the outskirts, uh, I think Lloyd and Alma were also planning to move. Kevin and Bethany were either dating or just married, and they were going to sell their property, so they had an auction, and they sold their, their farm there. Oh, it was right beside uh, Paul Gingrich's, <laughs> I think. Um, and, you know, in, at the time, that was maybe a little bit of a radical decision. Back into the history thing, again, I remember Mom saying concerning coming to Bethany that five miles is pretty far to drive to church. <laughs> I'm sure that was at that time. Things are different now. Uh, but, you know, that was before people were spreading out beyond Montezuma and Dayton so much. And so they bought the land there up in Union Springs. It was an old hunt camp across Union Springs Dam. I'm sure you all are very familiar with that. Uh, I, I asked, um, let's see, I asked Crystal about this recently, and she confirmed that, I, that it was, at least it was mostly correct. So these three men, um, having bought the property and they were building houses or whatever, went to the post office in Dayton, I suppose it would have been, to get their, their boxes. That was before 911 addresses, so you had a box. and an... Well, they said, since you all live on the same driveway, and there are already a good number of mailboxes out at the end, your numbers are <coughs> route, whatever it was, box, whatever it was, I can't remember now, and the letters are going to be J, K, and L. Well, they had never thought about that J, K, and L could just as well stand for John, Kevin, and Lloyd. And so that's how their boxes were. They took that as a confirmation that they were following the Lord. And I would say that another confirmation is that since that time, many people have moved somewhat to the outskirts of the heart of the Shenandoah Valley. I'd like to close with Romans 12. Verse 2. We usually think about this verse in relation to nonconformity because it certainly is there. That's, the, that's a very strong part of the verse. It says something like this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so there's some holiness and some obedience and some submission before we are able to accurately discern God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. And it is a growing process. And it is a process of life, and we are still grappling with that. It is not only a teenage question. I'd like to read you Romans 12, verse 2, that very verse out of Weimoth's Weimoth's New Testament. And do not follow the customs of the present age, but be transformed by the entire renewal of your minds so that you may learn by experience what God's will is, that will which is good and beautiful and perfect. God bless you in that journey.